We have a wonderful psalm tonight, Psalm 147, which called the children of Israel to praise the Lord. And that's what we've done tonight. We've answered that call in three songs. And my hope is that by the time you leave tonight, you'll be praising him more, praising him louder throughout the day, throughout the week. Psalm 147. You know, when you look at the the lyrics, when you look at the words of the psalms that Tim picks out, they're full of the Bible, aren't they? They're full of the cross. They're full of the attributes of God. But a lot of worship songs that are out there now are not that great. Let me give you an example. There's a proper way to praise the Lord, and then there's this. This song says, I will celebrate, sing unto the Lord. I will sing to God a new song, repeat. I will praise God. I will sing to God a new song, repeat. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I will sing to God a new song, repeat. I will celebrate, sing unto the Lord. I will sing to God a new song. This is a chorus that's sung in many churches, in Thailand, in India, Myanmar. And it seems to be praising God. It claims to be praising God, but it doesn't. The verbs in it say, I will. But the song, in the song, I don't. Though God is mentioned as the recipient of my praise and singing, that song never says a single thing about or to God. What's the chorus about? It's all about I, not God, but I myself. The psalm we're going to read now, Psalm 147, you'll see, does not fall into that trap. It's a proper way to praise God, a correct way to praise God. So if you'll open to Psalm 147, we're going to read that psalm now. Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with the clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes the grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace within your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight wanting to give you the praise, the glory, the honor, the adoration that you and you alone deserve. We did that with the fruit of our lips, with just three songs. Now as we study God's word, may we give you praise. May we leave here tonight knowing more of you and how to praise you even more. In Jesus' name, amen. I was originally going to title this psalm, 
the one psalm because as I studied in the Legacy Standard Bible, some of you have that Bible, the new translation from the Master's Seminary. They took some of the pronouns, he, and they changed them. Let me, let me give you some examples. It says, he is the one who heals the brokenhearted. He is the one who covers the heavens with clouds, the one who provides rain for the earth, the one who makes grass to sprout on the mountains. He is the one who sets peace within your borders, the one who sends forth his command earth. But I didn't because a lot of you don't have that new translation. Most of us have ESV or NIV or NASB. But I thought that was great, the way I call it the one psalm. You know, when we, what we just read, Yahweh is mentioned six or seven times, depending on your translation. The ESV says laud him, while the NSB might say praise him. God or Elohim is mentioned three more times. Lord or Adonai is mentioned one time. And then look at the pronouns. He, his, or him are mentioned, depending on your translation, 28 additional times. That is an incredible 46 references to God in these 20 verses. Not once is the word I mentioned. It's all about God, who he is, the great Yahweh, and his attributes. I just Some of the attributes, mercy and compassion in verses 2 and 3, his omniscience in verse 4, his omnipotence in verse 5, justice and wrath in verse 6, God's goodness in verse 8 and 9, his steadfast love in verse 11, his sovereignty in verse 14, his truth in verse 19. It's all about God and his attributes. The type of psalm, this has been called a thanksgiving psalm because praise is mentioned six or seven times. The author, we don't know the author. The last five psalms, Psalm 146 to 150, we call them orphan psalms. There's 50 psalms, but the last five, we don't know who the authors are. They're unknown. Do we know when it was written? Well, some people speculate based upon verses 16 and 17, which are a reference to a very, very cold storm that maybe was written after a winter storm. But I'm going to try to prove to you tonight that this psalm was written post-exilic when the Israelites came back from the Babylonian captivity and the walls were rebuilt. And I even think they sang it in the book of Nehemiah. So probably about 586. Very few psalms. Psalms 126, this psalm were written after the Jews came back from Babylon. What's the main idea in this psalm? It's just a hymn, a chorus that celebrates the Lord's sovereign rule over his creation and his love for his covenant people, Israel. The outline is very simple. Three reasons the children of Israel were to praise God. They're to praise him for God's restoration, for God's provision, and for God's protection. And I think we too can learn and pray for those three things. There's three paragraphs, as I mentioned, and each paragraph begins with a call to praise the Lord. Verse 1, verse 7, and verse 11, there's a call to praise. And then the following verses in each paragraph are the cause for praise. So you look at your outline, you have a call to praise, and you have a cause to praise. Let's begin with paragraph number 1. Praise for God's restoration, verses 1 to 6. You notice you have a prologue and you have an epilogue, praise the Lord, or in Hebrew, hallelujah. And as I mentioned last week, Psalms 146, 147, 148, 149, and 150 are the last five psalms in the book of Psalm, and they're called the final halal psalms or praise psalms. And all five begin with the words, praise the Lord or hallelujah, and end with the words, praise the Lord or hallelujah. They've been called the grand doxology of the psalms. 
and they teach us how to praise the Lord. They teach us how to worship. In Psalms 146, it says praise Him five times. In Psalms 147, it says praise Him at least six times. In Psalms 148, it says praise Him 13 times. In Psalms 149, it says praise Him five times. In Psalm 150, it says 13 times to praise Him. That's a total of praising God 42 times in five psalms. So it ends with a great doxology. Psalms 146 is the who. It says, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. The psalm we're going to look at tonight, Psalm 147, is the what? What do we praise Him for? That's what we're going to learn tonight. Psalms 148, verse 1, tells us where to praise Him. It says, praise the Lord from heaven, praise the Lord from earth. Psalms 149 is how? Sing to the Lord a new song. And Psalms 150, verse 6, the last verse in the Psalms, just says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Gordon Fee, commenting on the Psalms, says, The Psalms, like no other literature, lifts us to a position where we can commune with God, capturing a sense of the greatness of His kingdom and a sense of what living with Him for eternity will be like. John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. You know, we may not fall on our knees, but when you read these psalms, at least last six psalms, it ought to give you a sense of how to praise God, what to praise Him for, and give God the praise that He deserves. Let's look at verse 1, the call to praise. It just says, It is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Those three words, good, pleasant, and fitting. Psalms 92.1 says, it's good to give thanks to the Lord. Psalms 135.3 says, sing to His name, it is pleasant. Psalms 33.1 says, it is fitting for the upright to praise Him. That's the NIV translation. But here in verse 1 of this psalm, it has all three words. It is good, it is pleasant, it is fitting. Verse 1 begins the psalm by declaring that our praise, praising God for believers is not just appropriate, it's right but it's also delightful and fulfilling. God will not share His glory with any other. It was that great missionary, Henry Martin, who went into a Hindu temple in India, and he ran out screaming, how can the name of God be so defamed? Because the gods of Kali, the goddess of destruction, would have human heads and severed and snakes. And God says in Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord, that is my name, My glory I will give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So there's a call to praise Him. You know, I've been a missionary for 18 years. I've been home now for three years. But why do we do missions? Well, you say we do missions to to teach people about God, to save them, to get them baptized. But we do missions so that they will praise the Lord. Because once they know God, they will praise the Lord. Because what we're not going to be doing in heaven, we're not going to be doing missions in heaven. We're going to be praising the Lord in heaven. So that's why we do missions, to get the nations that don't know the Lord to know Him and praise Him. Let's look at the cause for praise, verses 2 to 6. Why is praise good, fitting, and pleasant? Well, verse 2 and 3 are going to answer that question. Number one, it's because He restores His people. He restored the nation of Israel. Verse 2 to 3 says, The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Many commentators believe this psalm was written and sung at one of the greatest praise festivals 
in the Bible or the history of Israel, and that would be the dedication of the walls in Jerusalem in Nehemiah chapter 12. Just, I'm not going to go through all the verses I had for time's sake, but in Deuteronomy 30, Deuteronomy 28, 29, if you ever read it, pretty dark chapters, God gives the blessings for obedience to Israel, and then he gives the curses, something like 59 verses of the curses for Israel. God told them that if you turn away from me and worship idols, I will scatter you to the far nations of the earth. And Israel did just that. And God kept his promise, and he scattered Israel. There were three deportations to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. But God also said that in Psalms 51.8, David wrote this, Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Psalms 102, verse 16 says, The Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. God loves Jerusalem. He loves the nation of Israel. And he promised that he would bring them back. Isaiah 56, 8 says, The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel. And in Jeremiah 31, verses 38 to 40, says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt. They were punished for 70 years of captivity, but God promised that he would bring them back at the end of that 70 years. And then you come to the book of Nehemiah. And if you want to turn to Nehemiah quickly, Nehemiah is my favorite book in the Old Testament other than Psalms. Because, you know, there's no miracles in Nehemiah. There's no angels visiting. God doesn't speak to Nehemiah. He's just a, the cupbearer to the king who has the burden to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. And notice what it says in Nehemiah 1, verses 1 to 3. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakalath. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year as I was in the Susa, in the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there is in, in, in the providence, who has survived the exile, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. And so the book of Nehemiah, go to chapter 6. The first six chapters are all about building the wall. Maybe about three miles around the city of Jerusalem. The temple had been rebuilt. The people were back. Ezra was uh, teaching the people. So the people had been rebuilt. The temple had been rebuilt. But the walls hadn't been rebuilt. But in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, it says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elu in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around it were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So the walls were rebuilt. Now turn to Nehemiah chapter 12. This is where I believe Psalm 147 was sung. And I'm going to read a few verses, but it says in verse 27 of Nehemiah 12, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netivilites. Now, there's a bunch of words there that are hard to pronounce. Verse 30 says, And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the walls. Now jump down, verse 31, I'm sorry. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two, not just choirs, two great choirs that gave thanks. One went south on the wall to the dung gate, 
I'm not going to go through all those names. Now go to verse 38. The other choir who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshana and by the fish gate and the tower of Hamelah and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs and those who gave thanks stood in the house of God and I and half the officials with me, I won't mention all those names, now look at the, the verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Most commentators, and I believe they're right, Psalm 147 was, would have been sung for this occasion and perhaps written at this occasion. What a great day it was. After 70 years of captivity... The children of Israel were back in Jerusalem. The temple's been rebuilt, but mostly the walls had been rebuilt because the city was desolate, in danger from enemies, so they're praising God there. Verse 43 there in Nehemiah 12 has rejoiced her joy five times. So God promised he would rebuild Jerusalem. He promised he'd gather the outcasts and heal the brokenhearted, and he did just that. It was a great time of joy and a time to praise the Lord. Now, let's look next. He controls creation. It says he determines the number of stars and gives to them all their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. So the second cause to praise the Lord uh, after restoration is God controls creation. Not only did he create the stars here, he also named every one of them. The psalmist exclaims, how great, how powerful, and how full of wisdom is our God. In his creation. You know, the ungodly are fretting about climate control, right? Every day you're hearing more and more. They're trying to push the panic button now, right? I could care less when they talk because my God is in complete control of creation. He didn't just create it and let it control, He'll control it to the very end. But the ungodly are fretting about, but we don't have to. In so many Psalms, creation, redemption, and restoration are given the reasons for praise. The works of God and all their marvelous details should be enough to inspire us to praise Him. Psalms 8, Psalms 19 are probably two of my favorites. The emphasis here in these three verses is not that God cares for the stars, which He does, but that the psalmist is reflecting upon the omniscience of our great God. The same God who numbers the stars and is infinite in knowledge is so powerful enough to bring back the lowly, humble exiles to Jerusalem. He cares much more for his children than the stars. Next, he exalts the lowly. Verse 6 says, The Lord lifts up the humble, and he casts the wicked to the ground. You don't have the word but there, but we talked about contrast last week, didn't we? So here we have another contrast. The first part of the verse says something about the upright or the humble, and then the last part about the wicked. There's a contrast there. Psalms 146, right, verse 9 says, The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. God cares for the humble. He cares for the outcasts. He cares for the brokenhearted. Psalms 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 30, verse 2 says, O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. God cares and loves the least significant people of the earth. Not so much the wise, 
the mighty, the rich, or the powerful, which the world and the media adores. I spent seven years in India, and I'm told that 97% of the Indians that come to Christ come from the low caste. In India, there are four castes. So the low castes are the lowest. They used to be the, the sewer dwellers, the street sweepers. But they're the majority that come to Christ, not the army guys, not the politicians, not the businessmen. Very few come. God loves the low caste. God loves the low, the poor, the humble. The God who made the numbers of stars is a God who cares for you. You know, the children of Israel here in this paragraph one were called to praise God for their restoration, and they did. The psalmist also, I think, tells us that we need to praise God for our restoration. And I believe a lot of you do that. You know, I won't read all of Ephesians 2 because I'll run out of time, but Ephesians 2 says, You are dead in your trespasses, in which you once walked in the course of this world. And then you come to verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy and great love, He healed us. He raised us up and set us at the right hand of God. Positionally now, even though we're not in heaven, Positionally now, we are seated at the right hand of God because Jesus Christ saved us. James Boyce says about this psalm, you know, we we Christians today do not have a continuing city. He's talking about Jerusalem like the Jews do. But we praise God for gathering us from his perishing, sinful world, binding up our hearts, healing our wounds, and building up our city, which is the Christian church. Surely it is good, pleasant, and fitting for us to sing and the same kind of praises to our God. And I think we need to praise Him for our restoration. And I hope you do that. How often do you praise the Lord for your salvation? You know, our restoration from sinful to righteous ought to be a cause to praise Him daily, right? When I was preparing this psalm, I was thinking, we have classes for uh, how to study the Bible here, right? We have classes how to join the church. We have, we'll teach you about baptism, and we'll teach you about communion this Sunday in the message. We have a lot of classes And we're even going to have a class on how to pray next year. You can join. But have we ever had a class on how to praise the Lord? Where's Tim? Tim, you need to have one. Because I think a lot of us, perhaps like me, raised in a Christian family, my dad and mom did not sing loud. They didn't have great voices. They weren't in a choir. And I told you, I always had a bad voice. I had to lip sing in junior choir in church and got an F in music in grade one. So I was reluctant to, to sing and praise the Lord. But no more. I'm going to sing loud, so if you're near me on Sunday, I'm sorry. I'm going to sing the songs loud, and that's what we should do. So I hope this Sunday you'll open your lips, you'll sing loud, you'll give God the glory, the adoration, the praise that he deserves. John MacArthur says something really great. Worship happens when I understand the depths from which I have been redeemed. I think maybe some of us don't understand the depths we've been redeemed. Let's go on to paragraph two. We praise God for his, uh, his uh, restoration. Now let's praise God for the provision. So the second cycle of praise, praise must be given to the Lord because he makes provisions in nature and delights in those who trust in his love, verses 7 to 11. So again, there's a call to praise, verse 7. It says, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody, in, melody to our God on the lyre. The lyre is a, a type of a harp. So the second paragraph begins with another call to worship, to praise the Lord. And it also says that we can accompany that praise with musical instruments. Ephesians 2 in the Bible, 5 in the Bible, I'm sorry, Ephesians 5, you know the verse 18 to 20 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, 
And once you're filled with the Spirit, you address one another with psalms, with hymns, with spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do some believers not like to sing? You know, I don't know. John Piper said, you can't praise what you don't prize. If you praise God, if you praise His attributes, if you praise what He's doing in the world, you will praise Him. But let's talk about the cause for praise in verses um, 8 to 11. Number one, the Lord provides for life on earth. The Lord here, it says, He covers the heaven with clouds. Notice the He's. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes the grass grow in the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens die. The cause for praise is that is that he provides for his creation. He didn't just make his creation, he provides for it. Some of the Psalms that are about creation, I mentioned Psalms 18 and 19, but Psalms 29, Psalms 65, Psalms 104, and Psalms 139 would also be considered creation psalms. The children of Israel were to praise the Lord for creation, something I don't think we do enough of. God sustains everything that he created. Now, he's going to mention two types of animals here, the cattle and the ravens, and they just represent the realms of all, all the animal kingdom. The stanza here is complementary to verse 4, where the psalmist praised the Lord for space, for the stars. Here, the Lord is sovereign and concerned with his creation, not only the magnificent stars, but the lowly creatures on earth. You know, I don't know about you, but ravens are not really one of my favorite birds. But three things in verse nine, 8 to 9. He provides rain. He makes the clouds and causes it to rain. He causes growth. He makes the grass to grow, which provides food for the beasts of the field, the cattle, and the ravens. So three things God does there. Let's move on to point number two, sub-point number two. The Lord delights in believers, verses 10 to 11. First off, what the Lord doesn't delight in. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of man. The Lord takes no delight in the natural abilities of his creatures. Now, a horse was a powerful animal in war, but in God's eyes, it was a vain thing. How many battles, when you go through the Old Testament, did God grant the victory when they were outnumbered? You could, you could spend an hour going through all the battles that God fought. I think my favorite one was in Joshua 9, which says that more people were killed by the hailstones than by Joshua's army. I love that. And there's so many like that. Those people who depend, those who depend on the Lord, we know the vanity of military, logistical, or human power because the strength of the horse or man is nothing in comparison to the power of God. In fact, the Lord hates those who depend on human conventions for security, and he will disappoint those who depend on themselves, but he justifies those who trust him. Psalm 33, 17 says, The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So the Lord does not delight in the strength of the horse or in men who trust in their own power. What does he delight in? Verse 11, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those whose hope is in his steadfast love. I don't have time tonight, but uh, I've looked in Proverbs at least 19 times. It says, fear the Lord. Psalms, I can find 19 times it talks about fearing the Lord. So what about us? Israel was told to praise the Lord for their creation. 
They were told to praise the Lord and trust on him for their strength, even though the walls of Jerusalem were now built up. Remember, when, when Nebuchadnezzar attacked Israel, it took him two to three years to breach those walls and destroy Israel. But for us, we need to praise God for our provision. And I, I trust everyone here prays for their food at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? But is that all we praise him for? Do you ever just sit back and count your blessings, as the song says? You know, I've lived in another country for 18 years, and a lot of that, and it forces you to pray a lot more. If you were to go on a missions trip to Argentina next July, I guarantee you'll come back and pray a lot more. You'll pray for the pastors. You'll be, you know, you're not going to eat the food you like. Uh, maybe there's a McDonald's there, but there's no in and out. You're going to pray for things that you're going to be stretched, you know, for. But you, if you lived in another country, you would praise the Lord, I guarantee it, for the wonderful things that God provides for you. So we need to do that, don't we? Let's move on to the third paragraph. Praise for God's protection. The praise of the Lord begins with Zion, right? Because the Lord has promised to be Israel's God. He's promised to dwell in her. He's promised to rule over her. He's promised to build up Jerusalem. He's promised to fortify her. He's promised to bless her population within the borders. And he's promised to to prosper her with prosperity. So there's the call to praise in verse 12. This is the third call to praise in our psalm. It says, praise the Lord. O Jerusalem, praise your God, O Zion. Lance got up Sunday morning. You all hear Sunday morning, I trust? And he brought up the prayer card for this month. I hope you're getting this prayer card. If you don't come on Sunday and you need one, uh, the month of of August, we're going to be praying for the children of Israel and Jews around the world. But it was ironic because we made these about back in November. So back in November when we're making these cards, and originally I didn't even have Israel on the list. But our prayer leader, Gil Saldana, says, we've got to pray for the peace of Israel. So we made one for Israel. But I didn't have Psalm 147 down then. We didn't know what psalms we were going to teach then. So it's just the providence of God that the psalm tonight is all about what Lance was talking about. All about Jerusalem. All about Zion. And the need that the children of Israel were called to praise Jerusalem, to praise God. So even though the walls were rebuilt, there was still much to be done uh, that. So Lance mentioned on Sunday that Jerusalem is mentioned 811 times in the Old Testament. Zion is mentioned 152 times. Lance read that verse from Psalms 48, verses 1 and 2. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation. It is the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. You know, you, if you've been with us at Christ Community Church for any amount of time, Lance has told you that Israel and Jerusalem is the center of the world, not New York, not Moscow, not anywhere else. God loves the children of Israel, and even though we are in the time of Gentiles and that the nation of Israel is being punished, they turned their back on God, they rejected their Messiah. If you're with us through the study of God, Daniel, God is not done with Israel. They will be redeemed sometime. Not all of them, but many of them will. And we will rule and reign for 1,000 years in Jerusalem. So that's the call to praise. The children of Israel were called to praise him and to call for protection. So let's look at the cause to praise. In verses 13 and 14, they're going to praise God for four things, four blessings. Number one, in verse 13, blessings of protection. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. This is a reference, I believe, to rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem in Nehemiah Uh, 1 through verse 12. And I mentioned in Nehemiah 6, it says, they finished the wall on the 25th day. Why was there such great celebration? Because you had protection from enemies. 
you had protection from armies. Even if the greatest army came, Zira the Ethiopian came with one million soldiers, and God killed them all. Shnachrab of Assyria came with 180,000 Assyrians, didn't even shoot an arrow in Jerusalem. But a wall was very important, so there's blessings for protection. There's blessings for your children. So when your children are living in protection, he says he blesses the children within you. There was safety. There was peace for the children within the rebuilt walls of Jerusalem. Number three, blessings of peace. It says he makes peace within your borders. Not only does the Lord rebuild Jerusalem, he grants peace within its borders. When Israel was obedient to the Lord, there was a promise of peace no matter how many foreign armies came, no matter how many powerful there were. Only when Israel was disobedient did God allow armies to come and destroy those walls and punish Israel. And the, psalm, the verse that we have in our prayer card, Psalm 120, verse 6 says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And the fourth blessing says is blessings of food. He says he fills you with the finest of wheat. Psalms 104, I mentioned was another creation psalm. Psalms 104, verse 14 and 15 says, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from heaven, I'm sorry, food from the earth, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. You know, I'm not an expert, but I, I looked up, uh, I had read somewhere that Israel is currently, today, Israel today, is a, is a leader in agriculture and water management. They export many crops around the world, and they don't have a lot of water, do they? They don't have any oil, but they are a leader in making food. Okay, number two, he sustains nature by his degree. In verses 15 to 18, notice the he's. He sends out his commands to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down the crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand for the cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and waters flow. So the praise for God is further evoked here about the power of God in the world of nature. All nature is at God's command. That's why I could care less about climate change and all the fools talking about it. When the sovereign Lord speaks, his word is effective. He orders and ordains everything in his created order, whether it be snow here, frost, ice, or water. And he does it by his word. Genesis 1-3 said, let there be light. There's light. God speaks, it happens. And his word is true in nature, as witnessed by the powerful effects of the natural elements and the seasonal changes. Therefore, God's people have hope, because they've received his words. And we'll look at that next. So six times it said he sends out his command. He sends out his word in nature. His word goes forth swiftly. It means efficiently. It means instantly to accomplish his goal. God spoke the creation into existence and it was accomplished. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says, As rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth a sprout, bringing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So God controls nature. Uh, James Boyce, one of my favorite pastors, he's passed away, uh, but he, he has a, a note here about the commentary on Psalms 147 from British war history. And he mentions that uh, the history of England defeating the Spanish Armada, the Navy, the Spanish were planning to invade England, and an armada, that's a huge navy, was launched by the Spanish in the summer of 1588 to defeat the English Navy. And then after they defeated the English Navy, the Spanish army would have come to England and conquered it. 
The Spanish Armada consisted of 130 ships containing 7,000 sailors and 17,000 foot soldiers. The English had only 90 ships under their command, but they were under the command of Francis Drake. The battle was fought for days, the English maintaining their distance and relentlessly bombarding the Spanish fleet. They fought wisely and well, but the decisive factor was not the power or the might of the British Navy. It was the fact that a strong wind churned up and pushed the Spanish ships into the English Channel, and it drove the Spanish fleet up the Channel in the North Sea, where many of the the Spanish ships were destroyed. The Spanish then tried to return south by rounding Scotland, where even more ships were sunk in storms. In the end, only about half the Spanish fleet made it back to Spain. Their attempt to conquer England failed. The English victory was complete. The Spanish defeat was total. The English celebrated by minting a new coin, which bore the Latin inscription, Avant de Sus, which means God blew, and they took that from Psalms 147, verse 18. Back then, at least one nation knew how to praise God for its safety. I hope we do. Let's go on to point three. He reveals himself in his word. says, he declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt with any other nation. They do not know his rules. The children of Israel were to praise him because he gave them his word of revelation. His word was first and foremost the law of the Lord, the first five books of the Bible. But that was God's distinct gift to the children of Israel at first. No other nations got that. And God's word was to have the same effect on its people as God's word has on nature, as we talked about, right? They were to be responsive to his royal will. In the praise of Israel, there was to be a grateful, responsive heart to reflect the the unique status Israel had in it. When we come to this final part here in verse 19 and 20, the psalmist is calling Israel to praise the Lord because he established a personal and lasting covenant relationship with them. With all, the, with, with all the nations of the earth, he only gave it to Abraham. Notice the word, it says there was word, his statues, his rules. God revealed himself to the nation of Israel and he put it down in writing. Paul would say in the book of Romans, what advantage has the Jew or what is the value of circumcision much in every way? To begin with, The Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Charles Spurgeon said, Israel had a clear and exclusive knowledge of God, while others were left in ignorance. Election is the loudest call for grateful adoration. The nations were covered in darkness. Only Israel sat in the light. The sovereign grace in its fullest noontide of power. So we need to, I think, praise God for his protection. You know, you've never been to Myanmar, but if you go to Myanmar, the first thing I noticed when we went to Myanmar, and Tom Mason could remember this too, is that every house has a gate, kind of like Irwindale. You ever been door-to-door in Irwindale? You can't go door-to-door in Irwindale because they've got gates. But in Myanmar, everybody has a gate. But on top of that gate, there's a row of barbed wire. Not one little strand, but circular strands. On top of that row, there's another row of barbed wire, and then there's a third row of barbed wire. At banks, at businesses, in every house, Barbed wire everywhere. You know, and I was thinking, today we have ring cameras, right? We have neighborhood watches to protect us. Someday we're going to need barbed wire. In fact, I want to invest in barbed wire because as our crime, goes, crime is going up, and uh, barbed wire is going to be a thing in the future, trust me. But 
We trust in barbed wire. We trust in ring cameras. We trust in guns. But ultimately, it's God we need to trust for our protection. And the children of Israel, they sometimes were obedient and trusted him. Sometimes they weren't. But each and every day, we need to trust in him. Just as Israel is to praise the Lord for restoration, provision, protection, we believers need to praise him for three things. So maybe you don't know how to praise the Lord, but start with restoration. God has saved you. And if you know the depths he saved you, you ought to give him praise and glory. Number two, praise him for his provision, not just your food, but for everything you have. And number three, for your protection. Someone has said, worship is basically adoration, and we adore only what delights us. There is no such thing as sad adoration or unhappy praise. You know, I looked up, there are 11 psalms that begin with praise the Lord. And we talked about them last year. Psalms 111 says, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Psalms 112 begins, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Psalms 113, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. And in the New Testament, probably the greatest verses on praise and adoration that we can give is Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. And it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I don't have a class to teach you about praise. But when you read Psalms 147 and all the final five psalms in Psalms, it ought to make your heart praise him more. You know, I told you before, if you read a psalm a day, it's going to change your prayer life. It's going to change your prayer life. I'm sorry, it's going to change your praise life and your prayer life. And it's done that. Next time you read the psalms, look for the names of God. Look for the attributes of God, not like the cheesy I will songs that are sung. You know, they're... There, don't look for Maranatha music. Don't look for Elevation music. Don't look for Bethel music. There's some great worship music out there now, and Tim usually picks a lot of it. Uh, from Sovereign Grace music is wonderful. Um, the Gettys, wonderful music. And one group I really like lately because I mentioned City of Light. They're doing the Psalms. So there's some wonderful worship music out there that you can follow that will help you worship right. So this Sunday, I know you're the choir because you come on Wednesday, not just Sunday. I want to see you singing loudly. I want to see you sing powerfully, joyfully, exciting, praising the Lord for his restoration, for his provision, and for his protection. So I'm going to be watching you Sunday. All right, next, uh, next Wednesday, Psalm 149. What a psalm that's practical for our day. I'll call it the worthlessness of wealth. All about money next week, okay? You are dismissed. Thank you very much for coming tonight.